Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, spiritual, professional, and financial health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Each week, physician, speaker, author, and radio host, Dr. Diane M.D. and her guests will give you tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now here's your host, Dr. Diane Thompson, M.D. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. Well, hello and welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. This is a show that is designed to inform and inspire you to a healthier lifestyle. I am your host, Diane A. Thompson, M.D., and as always, it is my pleasure spending time with you on this broadcast with the hope that perhaps something you will hear will help to take your health and your life to a higher level. Of course, you know that the information on this broadcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended for diagnosis or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare provider before making any changes to your health. I would like to remind you that the show's call in number is 626-414-3417. That's 626-414-3417. You may call in to listen live or to ask questions or share a comment. I've also opened up the chat room so you can leave your comments there as well. I want to invite you uh, to follow me here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, It is blogtalkradio.com forward slash Dr. Diane Thompson. It's very easy. That will take you to our show page, and right below my picture is that follow button. You go ahead and click that. And that will allow you to keep you abreast of the latest shows and lots of information that's going on. I also encourage you to join me on Facebook, and it is facebook.com forward slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson. So today I want to, first of all, thank you, uh, the the people who showed up last week for my talk uh, with the Brooklyn Lupus Co-op at the Long Island University. It was such a wonderful turnout. I was so grateful. The interaction, the exchange was just great. And so I wanted to to thank you for including me on your journey towards better health, and thank you for allowing me to facilitate your group. And, of course, I wish you continued good health. All right, so today's show is really... um, a topic that affects all of us. I recently saw a cartoon, and it read, there are only two times that I feel stress, day and night. And this is so true for many of us. We experience persistent and chronic stress. There's so many studies out there that show us that chronic stress is actually very dangerous to our health. And Uh, Getting our stress under control is actually a good thing and a goal that many of us should have, yet many of us struggle with this. Well, my guest today believes that we can outsmart stress. In fact, she wrote a book about that. Dr. Lena Edwards completed her medical education at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine in 1992. She then completed a residency in internal medicine and a fellowship training in integrative and functional medicine. 
Her book is called Adrenologic, Outsmarting Stress. Dr. Edwards, welcome to Health Talk. Thank you so much for having me, Diane. I'm very grateful and very happy to be here. You know, I... um, I looked back at your your bio and I found it so intriguing and so interesting. You've been able to merge both traditional medicine and integrative medicine. And I wonder if you could share with us what what led you on that journey. I'd be happy to do that. Um, I I started out as a general internal medicine doctor, and um, as most people probably understand that, as a physician that takes care of primarily adults and adult health issues. During our residency training, there's very little emphasis on disease prevention and health maintenance. And so I found during the first several years of my practice that I kept reinventing the wheel and and actually never fixing the wheel at all. Most of my patients would come in seeking true uh, cure for their disease, and and all I could come up with was one prescription medication after another. Although I was an astute clinician and diagnostician, the, um, the tools in the arsenal with respect to the treatment was very limited. And so it became very disengaging and very um, very unrewarding after a while when you felt like you couldn't really truly help people without having to come up with some form of a prescription drug to give them. So I went back and um, I discovered the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and I pursued a fellowship training, board certification and fellowship training in anti-aging and integrative medicine. And just to further uh, delineate and define what that actually is, it is not truly the reversal of aging, but rather the identification and um, appropriate treatment of true illness as it exists physiologically and getting to the bottom of the true disease and fixing it in that respect without necessarily the use of prescription medications if they're not warranted. In so doing, you help prolong um, patients' lifespans and you help them to achieve longevity while being healthy and maintaining um, health and preventing disease while they're achieving longevity. So that's really the difference between integrative and conventional medicine. And having both sets of training really opens my eyes and allows me to be very diverse and multidimensional in my approach to patient care. I think that's so interesting because so many primary care doctors express the same sentiments that you just expressed, except you did something about it. So I actually congratulate you on doing that. Now, one of the areas that you um, focused on was stress, because you wrote a book about outsmarting stress. What made you become interested in this topic? Primarily because it's such a complex and intriguing topic, but it's one that is so overwhelming uh, for most clinicians and patients that nobody was really teaching anything about it. I, I learned very little about it in my medical st- school training, even less about it in my residency training. And then when I started my training in integrative medicine, there were a few lecturers, but very, very few um, lecturers were astute and, and truly understood the physiology and the medical literature surrounding stress, the stress response system, and how it affects health. And when I thought back to my days as a resident and at that time my days as a conventional internist and all of the diseases and the patient complaints that I would see that I couldn't treat even with prescription drugs, it became very, very obvious to me that that was the huge missing void for everyone with respect to the stress response system and how it affects people's health. And that's where I dove in. I found a huge void in this area 
and as, and as I did more research and more writing and more um, speaking, I became even more and more passionate about the subject and how it affects people's health. So that's really, I guess, my initial um, my, my initial passion started there, and it has just continued to to progress from there. So I am actually going to ask you to define a few things right in the beginning so we can get all our listeners on the same page. So could you define for me stress? What is stress? Being a mother. (laughs) 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 Well, that list is very long. Um, You know, stress, if you look at the human body and physiology, all joking aside, Uh, stress is perceived by the body as anything that disturbs balance. And the medical term for that is called homeostasis. Anything, whether it's internal to the body in the form of a nutritional deficiency, a prescription drug, a chronic illness, or external to the body, whether it's your spouse, your children, your job, smog, environmental uh, and occupational um, exposures, Anything that disrupts normal balance or homeostasis is considered to be a stressor by the body. And would you consider stress to always be a bad thing? No, absolutely not. And, in fact, the research on stress started over over a century ago. And probably the, the person who they consider to be the father of stress, his name is Hans Salier, discussed stress in a very interesting way. And in the very early stages of stress, he described a term called eustress, that's spelled E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, which was described as actually a good stress. It's the type of stress that pushes you to your limits and allows you to achieve and to accomplish. That type of stress is actually a good stress. But like every other curve in life, it's a bell curve. There's an incline going upwards. You reach maximum peak. But then if you go too far, you're going to go down the curve on the other end. And that's exactly how the stress response curve works. Use stress, which is good stress, if not maintained at a certain level and if overshot by ongoing uh, pursuit and competition and pushing, will then lead the person into the opposite end of that bell-shaped curve into what's called the distress, D-I-S stress, which is the bad stress, and that's actually where most symptoms of illness and disease start to, to start to um, begin. And and in this in discussing stress, we um, often hear the term the APA, the HPA axis. Sorry, so the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And can you mm-hmm. just briefly again share with us what is this? How does this relate to stress? Absolutely. So the human body is very complex, and there are lots of mechanisms in place where uh, there are multiple levels of control. The master control center for the stress response system uh, is housed in the the brain. The, The primary structure in the brain that controls the major stress response is called the hypothalamus. And below that, not necessarily structurally, but with respect to the degree of um, autonomy. Hypothalamus tells a secondary structure in the brain called the pituitary gland to make certain hormones, which then tell other organs to make their hormones. In the case of the stress response, there are really two arms of the stress response. So how I explain this to my patients is if you're driving and you see the car in front of you abruptly stop, and you are about to run into the back of that car and you press on your brake. 
that immediate instinct, that immediate rush is adrenaline. That is the sympathetic nervous system. That is one arm of the stress response system. And it kicks in immediately, and it's what gets your heart rate going, your blood pressure up in that initial 5 to 10, 15 seconds. However, thereafter, the HPA, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal gland axis, takes over. And it makes hormones called cortisol, DHEA, and pregnenolone. And those hormones perpetuate the stress response. So the blood pressure and the blood sugar and the, oh, my gosh, that persists 30 minutes after you are about to run into that vehicle, that's the arm of the stress response system. That's the HPA axis. Those two limbs of the stress response system are in place to allow us to survive when we encounter any type of stressor. It's when the system goes unchecked that all of those systems start to become out of balance. So of all these hormones that are made by the HPA system, is there any one that is uh, much more detrimental to stress, to our, our health when we are having stress? You know, honestly, imbalances in all of them are detrimental. I think probably out of... Um, for a variety of different reasons, many of which I'm not quite certain of how they evolved, but everybody seems to identify cortisol as being the primary uh, hormonal culprit, if you will, when it comes to the, the evolution of disease. But that's not always the case. When, when someone experiences a stress response, cortisol goes up indeed, but the immune system and the GI system and adrenaline and those hormones and serotonin and those hormones, all of those hormones will go up to keep cortisol in check. So cortisol is only a destructive hormone if it is allowed to be uh, persistent in the tissues for a prolonged period of time. And, and sometimes the issue isn't that the cortisol is too high. Sometimes the stress response system is functioning normally, but the disastrous effects of high cortisol evolve because those other hormones that are supposed to balance cortisol are not there. So essentially, yes, tissue damage occurs, but it tends to be out of a, out of a state of what you, what's called anabolic catabolic imbalance, which is when you either have too much cortisol or you don't have enough hormones that are necessary to counter-regulate the actions of cortisol. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, if you're just joining us, welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD. My guest today is Dr. Lena Edwards, and her book is called Adrenologic Outsmarting Stress. Now, you mentioned um, cortisol, and you're right. So many people, when you talk about stress hormones, uh, cortisol is the one that comes to mind. I mm -hmm. wonder, can someone have high cortisol levels for very long periods of time, but yet they're not technically stressed? Is it always associated with uh, elevated levels of stress? Uh, not necessarily. And this is where the research is, is fascinating but where it gets so much more interesting and so much more in-depth than what most people realize. The stress response system in human beings is developed when they are developing as a fetus in the womb of their mother. And there are so many things that will affect the stress response system and the development of that system. 
not only the in utero environment, but there are hereditary influences. And then once one is born, there are other influences that are known as epigenetic influences, which basically mean once you're born, your genetics can be influenced by external factors. So all of those things can have permanent effects on the stress response system. In fact, most of the research that I have um, have reviewed and, and included in a lot of my, um, not only this book, but a lot of the evidence-based medical literature uh, I've written has been done in children and infants because of how important the development of the stress response system is. So often when I see people uh, and, I, and I check someone and they have a cortisol level that's really high, they feel fine and they have no end organ damage from it. So it isn't simply about what is your number and is it too high or too low. Far more important is to put in conjunction with the number how the patient is feeling and what their symptoms are and what their developmental history was, not only if they can identify with maybe if their mother told them what type of in utero environment they had, but what type of developmental history they had, what kind of childhood history they had, because those things are very important in shaping the stress response system. Also, personality characteristics. Uh, that's very important in how someone perceives a stress response. So there are so many other factors that will determine the extent, the duration, uh, and and basically the perception of how someone ex even experiences a stress response. So in a long roundabout way to your question, no, it does not always follow that if someone has high cortisol, it's necessarily destructive. Thank you for that. Um, Another a, a term that I saw in your book, and uh, I wonder if you could talk about it a little bit, is this idea of uh, um, adrenal fatigue. What is that? Well, adrenal fatigue actually is a term that was originally tossed out um, over 25 years ago. And before the research had really taken flight and before people truly understood why low cortisol developed, the terminology was basically put out there to imply that after someone has been exposed to periods of chronic stress, the adrenal glands simply quit working, and they just do not manufacture cortisol in the amount that is necessary to sustain health and well-being. That's essentially what that terminology is intended to mean. That terminology, however, has been outdated for over 20, 20 years minimum because so much research since that time has proven that the, the cause of low cortisol is very rarely due to the lack of the adrenal glands producing it on their, independently of any other issue. If you think about the human body and how complex it is, it would seem a little ironic to have all of these other control centers in place if you're going to make the adrenal glands the center of the human universe. So actually, the, the adrenal glands and their ability to produce cortisol is the end result of many, many other things that have to happen before that message gets translated. So most of the time, and again, I'm speaking from the evidence-based medical literature, most of the time low cortisol states arise. It has nothing to do with fatiguing of the adrenal glands. More often than not, it's because of a disruption in the communication between the brain and the adrenal glands. If you think of it this way, again, our bodies were designed to allow us to survive. So if you're driving a NASCAR, 
very, very quickly. At some point, your body is going to say, this is a bad idea, we're going to crash. And your brain will put the brake on, on the pedal. It will put, will put its pe- basically, it will stop the car, will slow it way, way down because it sees that the person is headed for, for certain destruction. And when the brain puts that brake on, the adrenal is capable of making cortisol, but it has lost the order to do so. The adrenal gland cannot by itself independently make cortisol. It has to be told to do that. If the message is gone, then the adrenal gland will reduce the production of cortisol. And the body does that as a way to preserve the human being, to preserve our tissues, to preserve our organ function. In the case of low cortisol, which many people misunderstand to mean adrenal fatigue, what is actually happening is that the break that the brain has put on the adrenal gland, it basically never gets the memo that it's okay to take the break off. And the brain will perpetuate that negative message to the adrenal glands, not realizing that the state of stress has gone away. So actually, the majority of the time, a person has problems with low cortisol. The problem is at the level of the higher structures in the brain, not at the level of the adrenal gland. Can you share with us um, someone who has low cortisol versus someone who has high cortisol? How would they look different? How, How could one identify this without actually doing a test? That's an excellent question, and the problem with answering that in a very sort of cut-and-dry, black-and-white way is that there are so many other influencing factors. For instance, certain factors about a patient or about a person will predispose them to having higher low cortisol. So patients who are of African-American descent tend to have lower cortisol. Patients who are in menopause tend to have lower cortisol. Uh, children and younger adults tend to have higher cortisol, and it's not necessarily a dysfunctional state. Now, if you're looking at, let's just say, two people who are identical, uh, and they're identical in every way, their gender, their age, their socioeconomic status, their ethnicity, because all of those things will affect what their cortisol levels look like. Let's assume all of that is equal. Now, someone who has high cortisol Again, this isn't necessarily always the case. There's lots of overlap. But they tend to have lots of issues with insomnia, irritability. They're very anxious. Initially, they tend to lose weight, not necessarily gain it. In women who aren't necessarily menopausal, they may experience menstrual disturbances. In men, they may notice that their stamina isn't quite what it used to be. They may not have the same drive with respect to sex drive, libido, mental function, because excess cortisol destroys the part of the brain that controls memory. So people may notice that they can't remember things as well. They'll walk into a room and they can't remember why they walked into the room. Those are all very common situations when it comes to high cortisol. But again, if you think about this, if anybody's ever watched National Geographic Explorer and you see the deer or the the impala running away from the cheetah, you think about what that situation is. It's all about survival. So anything that is not essential to survival will not function. So people also experience lots of gastrointestinal issues, okay? lots of um, mood issues, lots of energy issues, because it's all about getting away from the immediate stressor. Now, on the other hand, if you have someone who has developed a state of low cortisol, for whatever reason that may be, 
those people tend to have more issues with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. They tend to be very sensitive to stress. Uh, they tend to have chronic pain syndromes. In fact, uh, one of the primary researchers in this area, Dr. Fries, and her colleagues wrote several papers, what they call the hypocortisolism, which is a very fa fancy way of saying low cortisol, symptom triad, which is the top three symptoms that you will typically see in a person who has low cortisol. And those three things are fatigue, sensitivity to stress, and chronic pain. Whether it's, you know, I see people, they're constantly having bursitis or tendonitis. There's lots of literature with respect to headaches, chronic low back pain, pelvic pain, uh, and, and those types of thing, things where the physician can't identify the cause. A lot of the times there's an association with low cortisol, and the reason for that is because there is an increase in inflammation when cortisol goes down. Other things that you can see in people who have low cortisol Atypical depression, things like post-traumatic stress disorder or PMS, um, seasonal affective disorder, all of those types of mood issues are related to situations of low cortisol. So, And weight gain. Lots of people think that cortisol has to be high in order for them to, to retain belly fat, but in actuality, the primary, probably one of the number one causes of excess body fat, especially in the abdominal area, is actually low cortisol, not high cortisol. Do you, do you actually think that people need to know their cortisol level? Let's say they have no symptoms. None of these symptoms are doing fine. Do you think it's one of those things where let's just check and see, or should they not care until they start to have symptoms? Well, I don't necessarily, when I see a patient, I don't check just one hormone. And I think it's ideal for people who are proactive about their health and they want to be preventative, I think it's ideal for them to have all of their hormones tested, not just cortisol, because, again, there has to be a balance between cortisol and all of the other hormones. Now, if you have someone, I, I see people all the time who feel fine and they're healthy and they feel good, but they just want to get a picture of how their health status is now so they know how to move forward in a proactive fashion and they want to know sort of what their hormonal picture at the moment looks like. Indeed, I will check cortisol on them and probably the most reliable way to do that if you look at the research that has been done would be to do a four-point salivary cortisol, which is basically where you ask the patient to... Um, complete a saliva test once um, in the morning, once midday, once late day, and once in the evening before they go to bed. And those saliva tests measure the cortisol, and it allows us to see the pattern of the release of cortisol. But in patients who may have slightly abnormal um, cortisol release patterns, again, you don't treat the number, you treat the patient and their symptoms. And sometimes I might give them something to assist with helping to normalize their cortisol. But again, there are so many variables that will affect what their cortisol looks like that ultimately physicians really need to treat the patient in accordance with their symptoms and all of those other factors and not simply looking at just the number. Excellent. Again, if you're just joining us, welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. My guest is Dr. Lena Edwards, and we are discussing stress and uh, how to outsmart it. Um, let's let's talk more um, specifically about stress. We know that chronic stress is generally bad for us. What are specific diseases or disorders that are associated with high levels of stress? 
everything. <laughs> and I, <don't, laughs> I, I really I try to narrow down the answer, but it's true. I mean, again, I've done research in this area for the last decade, and you know, with respect to high cortisol, and I'll try to be as specific as I can, but um, high cortisol states tend to be associated with increased risk of heart disease, diabetes, because cortisol regulates insulin, which regulates blood sugar, Alzheimer's disease, and other diseases that have a, a component of inflammation. Those have been associated with high cortisol levels, high cholesterol, cancer, uh, now, on the, on the flip side of that, low cortisol states are equally evil, equally detrimental to the health. And again, not so much with respect to things like heart disease, but profound research with respect to autoimmune diseases and, um, and neurological diseases and gastrointestinal diseases. So again, because of the global nature in which cortisol functions in the body, Chronically high and chronically low states will both be detrimental in equal but opposing ways. It is interesting. I, I've definitely done a lot of reading and even uh, done a talk on stress before, and you are right. There's so many diseases that are associated with high levels of stress, yet it's not something that's uh, generally taught in medical school, and I think that's so sad, or even in residency, as you said. Right. So this is really uh, interesting. All right, so we we know. <laughs> use examples. They use <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was saying I think they use us as examples uh, with residency on the perfect stress specimens because of the Absolutely. rigor of residency. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, so now we, we, we have a definition of stress. We know the hormones that are involved. We know some of the diseases that are associated with high levels of stress. What are some of the specific ways that we can outsmart stress? Well, again, not to be vague or obtuse, but there are, that is such an individualized question because it, it truly relates to each individual's not only surroundings, but their upbringing and their perception of stress and their, their type of personality and the environment in which they live, uh, their genetic background. So there's so much truly that influences uh, whether or not someone perceives their, themselves to have stress and how they respond to it. So, you know, the, the, basically the textbook response is obviously you know, if you smoke or drink alcohol in excess, you need to stop those things. If you don't exercise, you need to exercise. I mean, all of those things that we normally hear that are intended for generalized good health also are be very beneficial in helping to improve the stress response system. But this is why it's so important to work with an astute and, and properly trained clinician because sometimes stressors aren't necessarily external to the body. I've had patients, um, for instance, I have dentists who have uh, heavy metal toxicity from their occupational exposure, and that's their stressor, and I have to fix that before their stress response system improves. I've had some patients who've had gastric bypass surgery, and they develop all kinds of nutritional deficiencies, and that stresses their stress response system, and I have to correct that. So it's very important that any internal causes of stress be identified and treated in order for the, the human physiology, the patient's physiology to improve. Because really, internally, if those things don't improve, it will affect 
a person's ability to deal with any external stressors they may have. And I actually have a, a question that uh, was uh, sent to me uh, by one of our listeners, and the question is, is there a pill that one can take if they're um, having high levels of stress? You know, sometimes <laughs> you go in the pharmacy. You do go in the pharmacy sometimes, and you'll see in the vitamin section, you know, pills that say that they help with stress, and people often wonder about that. What are your thoughts? Oh, unfortunately, um, patients, again, because of lack of conventional medical direction, honestly, are having to self-direct their own care when it comes to this type of situation. And unfortunately, the, the supplement industry is a $35 billion a year industry, and, and part of it's fueled by people's desire to feel better but not knowing where to go, so they try to figure it out on their own. People need to be very leery of what they're looking at over the counter because there are different types of stress hormone imbalances and not all supplements are, are actually helpful and some can be harmful depending on what someone's stress hormone levels look like. So, no, there's not one magic pill that will help get rid of stress or even to help improve people's stress response systems. Now, with that said... There are some very good supplements. Again, you have to make sure that you're getting pharmaceutical grade, which means it's been tested for purity and potency um, and making sure that there are no contaminants. And less than 5% of all of the over-the-counter supplements are pharmaceutical grade, so people need to be very careful. But there are some supplements, and the global term are called adaptogens, Adaptogens are basically herbal preparations that are designed to help keep the body's stress response system healthy. These are herbal preparations that have been used for thousands of years in Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, things like Panax, ginseng, and rhodiola, and ashwagandha, and there are li- there's probably 40 or 50 of them. And each of them is useful in their own way depending on the patient and other factors that may be involved and other um, symptoms they may have. But again, very few, with the exception of think rhodiola and ashwagandha, have no side effects. But a lot of the other herbal supplements have potential side effects and drug-herb interactions that people need to be careful of, and they really need to discuss the use of any types of those supplements with a practitioner, with a well-trained practitioner before they start taking them because um, not all of those supplements are safe. So people have to be very careful. You know, I, I wonder, is there um, a website or – because I'm thinking of patients out there that are listening. You know, there are lots of primary care providers that are – uh, they practice traditional medicine, and uh, sometimes patients today, I believe, are looking for more. And so where would someone go to find someone like you <laughs> if they were interested in, in a primary care doctor who somehow merged, you know, both both practices? How would they find right. someone like you? Well, again, that's a very, very good question. And unfortunately, and this is probably not consoling to any of your listeners, but those people are difficult to find because there are a lot of people out there who are trying to um, they're trying to sort of get ahead on the misery of other people and they understand that there's a huge demand 
they don't have the proper training, but they profess that they do. And so they are actually really, and I'm seeing these people, that, that ill-equipped physicians are trying to treat, that they, and they really don't know what they're doing. So it's very important to, um, to seek out a physician that has a, a good understanding. And there are different types of training programs in the United States. Um, the Institute of Functional Medicine is one. The American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine is another. Uh, the Age Management Medical Group is another. Uh, those are three organizations that have different types of training programs. I am a fellowship instructor for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, so I have more familiarity with their program. But those programs all have some type of training uh, with respect to stress and the stress response system. But unfortunately, uh, if you look at the majority of the organizations that are teaching integrative medicine in general, that topic is still uh, very weak with respect to what's taught and, and what physicians learn from it. So that's why this has become my passion because my goal is really to try to train other physicians to have the same level of understanding because it truly is complex. And if you don't have a good understanding of the stress response system and how the stress hormones relate to other hormones and other bodily systems, you, you can make a patient feel worse rather than better. All right, so this is uh, uh, Dr. Lena Edwards. Uh, she is the author of Adrenologic Outsmarting Stress. And so my final question for you, Dr. Edwards, and I mean, this is a lot of great information, by the way. My final question for you is uh, is our health tip of the week. We, we usually like to leave our listeners with something, something that uh, maybe they can work on uh, in terms of addressing their health right away. And so if if you were to think of the most important step that someone could take uh, that would have the highest impact on managing their stress, what would you suggest? Well, that depends on the patient. So to try to keep this simple, I'm going to give you two patients, two people. One person who has no external stressors, wonderful life, wonderful job, wonderful marriage, wonderful external environment, and they just don't feel well, and they know something's wrong. For that person, the key for them is going to be finding, seeking out a well-trained physician to work with who can give them a global assessment of their internal physiology so that they can have a better understanding of any potential internal issues that may be going on that might be fueling their stress response and perhaps making their stress response hormones abnormal, okay? Sometimes I've seen patients like that, and it's very interesting what you uncover. And proactively, that's very rewarding because you can basically um, divert the development of many future illnesses if you, if you see a patient like that and you find things uh, on the front end of disease. The majority of the patients I see, however, are not that person. The majority of the people that I see have a laundry list of at least 10 things external to their body that are driving them crazy. And... I empathize and sympathize because some of the stressors in our lives we have no control over. Some of them we do. And in those people, what I would say is to put your life in perspective. You know, what matters? I tell my patients that come and see me, make a list of the top five things that demand your attention. Sometimes in people I'll tell them, make a list of the top ten things. What five of those things do you not have to do? What is making you miserable? What is making you unhappy? And what of those things can you change? 
sometimes people can make a change, but they but they can't for other reasons because they love a person or financially they're stuck in a situation. So so all of those are variables. But I have to be completely honest. It doesn't matter what lab, what hormone, what supplement. If I have a patient who does not change their situation that's making them uncomfortable or having putting undue stress on them, if they don't change that situation or change their attitude towards the situation, nothing I do for them makes them better. I may give them a supplement that makes them allow, perhaps they can withstand the stress a little bit more, their fuse gets a little bit longer, but they never achieve the health that they're looking for if that stressor or stressors are not removed or if their attitude towards those stressors are not adjusted. That's very, very important. So put life in perspective. That's probably the best word of advice I can give because everybody's life is different, so I can't give a generalized uh, one-size-fits-all recommendation in this regard. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love that. I love that, actually, and I love the idea that you change your situation or at least change your attitude or response to that situation Mm -hmm. because that's something that's important in so many aspects of our lives anyway. All right, really so there is. you have it. Yeah, it really is. So there you have it. Um, I really would like to thank you so much, Dr. Lena Edwards, for coming on the show. Again, her book is called Adrenologic, Outsmarting Stress. It is a very informative read on a very important and universal topic. To learn more about Dr. Edwards and her book, please go to the website, um, adrenologic.com. Uh, did you have a Facebook page that you wanted to share with us, uh, Dr. Edwards? I appreciate you asking, Diane. At the moment, it's under construction, but it should be up again uh, shortly. So they should be able to get all the information from the adrenologic.com website, correct? Yes, absolutely. And then my practice website is balancehealthandwellness.com. They can also go there to get additional information on um, not just uh, what I post there, but also on upcoming speaking engagements. Wonderful. And, and I'm I'll also working sure. on – I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm also working on two more books. So as soon as those are out, I'll let you know as well. <laughs> oh, no, that's exciting news. That's wonderful. We, we look forward to that, and you have to come back on the show once those are done. Oh, so I was actually I going to I... say – I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I was actually going to say I would add, I'm going to add your website to both my Facebook page and um, my other social media page to make sure that people can get a hold of you. What were you saying? I appreciate that very, very much. And I, and my final word was going to be that I, I certainly can't serve as the uh, the mentor and, and the passionate uh, uh, savior, as you will, for stress. If I don't pre- if I don't uh, serve as an example of a stress person, right? Right. <laughs> so that's right. That's right situations I can understand it (laughs) all right well thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for sharing all that wonderful information absolutely and thank you so much for having me I truly do appreciate it all right you take good care thank you you as well okay again I I thank Dr. Edwards for coming on the show just a lot of um Uh, valuable information on stress and uh, managing your stress and really taking a better look at how you're taking care of yourself. Um, I would like to leave you with uh, the quote of this week, and it says, what you focus on expands. 
I don't know to whom I should attribute this quote, but I really like this quote. I find that it's so, so true that many times the things we think about in our lives are what we manifest and what expands. And so I'm going to invite you this week to take some time to focus on your health. You know, perhaps you started off the year with high expectations of achieving a lot of health goals, and here you are months later, things are not what you expected. Maybe you had too many goals or not enough time. Maybe the goals weren't specific enough, or maybe you didn't have anyone to hold you accountable. Whatever it is, I invite you to focus on your health this week. See where you are, where you want it to be, and what you need to do to get there. So just take stock of your health uh, situation and your health, um, where your health is this week. And again, I want to remind you that your health is indeed your wealth. So please do something healthy this week. I look forward to you joining me next week. When I have Dr. Jennifer Cottle on, Dr. Cottle was recently on Dr. Oz, and we look forward to her coming back on the show. We're going to tackle the subject of bullying. And again, remember to follow us here on Blog Talk Radio. It's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Dr. Diane Thompson. And right under my picture, you'll see the follow button. Just go ahead and click that. And also like us on Facebook. And I will see you next week. Please have a healthy, healthy week. Take good care, everyone. You have been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane, M.D. Please tune in every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Diane Thompson at 6.30 in the evening Eastern Time or 3.30 in the afternoon Pacific Time for the best in inspirational health information. If you have missed any part of this broadcast or would like to find out more about Dr. Diane, M.D., please go to drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. Or like us on Facebook at facebook.com, Dr. Diane A. Thompson. That's facebook.com, Dr. Diane A. Thompson. Strive to be happy, healthy, and wise. Have a great evening.